No, I'm not talking Jessica Biel. No, I'm not talking prequels or remakes. I'm talking about Toby Hooper. I'm talking about Gunnar Hansen. I'm talking head cheese. So let's break out the sledge because we're going to talk about it right now. That's right, horror maniacs. Welcome back to another episode of House of Wax. And you can't ignore the movie that we're covering today. The infamous powerful, stick-in-your-brain 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So just like always, as I recommend, if you haven't seen this movie, stop what you're doing, stop this show, go check it out, because it could be the most important movie in horror history. So let's take off that padlock from the freezer, and let's go! You have killed, and you will kill again. Just about all of my favorite iconic horror movies are from the 70s. There's a nastiness to them, a grittiness, a nasty underbelly that you can't wash off. And this one could be the finger-sucking grandpa of them all. There's just something to the legend of these movies in the time that they came out. Nowadays, with social media and everything, we just dilute these stories so much that there's nothing scary about them anymore. There's no mystery to them. We dilute it and dilute it. No matter how many times you bring Jason back or Freddy back, you're not going to beat the impact those first two or three movies had when they came out. But this movie is totally different. Based on some true events that happened, which I'm not really going to talk about right now, because if I do, I'll go into a tailspin of rage. I'll save that for later. But anyways, Toby Hooper was told a story of this guy that was killing people back when he was a kid and hanging them up and skinning them alive. And that really made an impact on him. So later on, he decided to use and make a movie. Also, this story that I heard is the inspiration for several other horror movies that will possibly be coming up on this show as well. But this movie just changed everything as far as horror movies go, and it happened in one year, 1974. So for all you newbies in the horror, this is a crash course in showing you exactly where everything kind of began for a slasher flick. Because it wasn't who you think it is. You think it's Jason? Think it's Mikey? Think it's Freddy? Tommy Aldrich from Whitesnake? Nope, there's a new butcher in town, and business is good. This is the movie that Rex Reed called the most horrifying motion picture I have ever seen. This film is positively ruthless in its attempt to drive you right out of your mind. It accomplishes everything it sets out to do with brilliance and unparalleled terror. to end them all.
Sally, I hear something. Stop. Stop. This is the movie Rex Reed called the most horrifying motion picture I have ever seen. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from New Line Cinema. One of the brilliant parts of this movie is the beginning of it. When you're setting up the dialogue, it's scrolling across the screen, and you got a young John Larroquette, that's right, the guy from Night Court, reading these words, and it's very, very effective. Very, very long lives. They could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. It makes you question the reality of this movie already. Could it be real? Yeah, sure it could be. Then the movie starts off with just pitch black and you're hearing some shuffling and some panting going on. And then you hear that infamous sound that every horror fan that knows this movie has nightmares about. Such an iconic sound. Sounds like this. And along with this sound, you get a peep show of some body parts. Not giving you a whole lot of information, but just enough to make you catch just glimpses of what's happening. Pretty disturbing stuff. It's really a pure case of less is more, and it drives you over a cliff just like Conway Twitty's Pompadour. Yes, folks, another example of this is how you open a movie. Then it breaks into daylight, and you've got a scene that's up close on a face, a decayed face, and it starts backing away. And you're hearing a news report at the same time of some grave robbing that's been going on. And there's this monstrosity mounted onto a tombstone that's sitting there. It's basically different body parts chicken wired together to make basically a statue it's pretty messed up and even from that to disturb you even more when we bring up the title of the movie and the sunspots that we see going on on the screen the background music is just noise oil storage units continue to burn out of control at the huge texaco refinery near the texas louisiana border three storage units exploded into flames during the night killing at least three workers and injuring a dozen more Firefighting units from three Texas cities Really unlike anything I've heard in any other movie, it drives you crazy. And this is going to lead us right into our ensemble of 70s grooviness. We have Sally and her pea bucket paraplegic brother Franklin, who just drives everybody insane. And then there's Sally's boyfriend Jerry. And then there's Kirk and Pam. This is your ensemble. Kind of similar to if you remember from Evil Dead, the first episode. Very small group, confined, easy to work with. You don't have to learn a lot with this. That's another thing that makes it great. So our group is cruising along in an avocado green van in the summertime in Texas. So they stop on the side of the road so Franklin can visit the wizard. And while he's there, this big truck comes rolling by, a big semi-truck. And I guess from the gust of the wind from the semi-truck, it basically makes his wheelchair start rolling down the hill. And he chunks the pea bucket in the air, flies out of the wheelchair, rolls on the ground. Yeah, this is what we're dealing with. It kind of already sets up the fact that you don't like Franklin, especially when they get back in the van, he's complaining about being hot. Well, you're in Texas in the summertime, dude. That's just the way it is. So this trip they're taking is to go to the graveyard where Sally's grandfather is buried because they want to see if his grave's been messed with because they heard the news report of somebody digging up the graves. So they just want to go and confirm that nothing's been done to his place, right? So that's what this mission is all about, going to visit a cemetery. 
And then when they get there with some crazy dialogue, there's a crazy drunk guy that's just sitting in an old wore-out tire that's laying on the ground and just talking out of his head. I kind of wish they would have picked this guy up and took him with them later on. Man, that'd been a whole different movie. I'd just like to see the adventures of Crazy Drunk Guy. They say it's just an old man talking. You laugh at an old man. <laughs> There's them that laughs and knows better. <laughs> so after seeing the graveyard, they decide that they want to go and see the old house that they kind of grew up in, the old farmhouse that their grandparents had. So now they're just on a road trip to go check this place out. On the way through, they drive by an old slaughterhouse and apparently this thing really smells bad. By the look of Franklin's face, though, it looks like he might have dropped a deuce back there in the back and just blamed it on the smell of the slaughterhouse. I don't know. He's got a crazy-looking face, that's for sure. So during this conversation, Franklin decides to describe how you actually kill a bunch of cattle in the slaughterhouse. Perfect conversation starter. Sometimes it wouldn't kill them. I mean, they'd skin them sometimes even before they were eaten. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. People shouldn't kill animals for food. Oh, well, they don't do it like that anymore. And then Franklin decides he's going to do some freestyle beatboxing way before the fat boys roll it. Just boom, goes boom, and then Franklin, I like me. Please change the subject. That's terrible. It's still going on. Then they stop and pick up this guy. Obviously, this guy's a few sandwiches short of a picnic. Then they put him in the van, and the tension is incredible right here. Well, I think we just picked up Dracula. Where you headed, man? South. You work at that place? Oh, no. How did you get stuck way out here? Franklin's messing around. He has his knife out. He's messing with it. And this crazy dude takes the knife away from Franklin and then cuts himself with it. I guess it's just his way of saying, hi, I like to party. I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on. Then he pulls out an old camera and starts taking shots and tries to get them to pay him for the pictures that he took. Being that the pictures were basically total crap, they say, no thanks, dude. So he basically lays the picture down in some tin foil, takes some gunpowder and puts it on top of it, and just sets the picture on fire, which causes everybody in the van to go absolutely crazy. And during the pandemonium, crazy dude reaches down in his shoe, pulls out a straight razor, and cuts Franklin's arm with it. Needless to say, they pull the van over, kick the dude out. And he starts acting like a total imbecile on the side of the road. And his hands all cut from, you know, from earlier when he cut it with Franklin's knife. And he's smearing it all over the van and just making kid faces at him. Like, nier, 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 that kind of stuff. Bizarre. Welcome to Texas. So further on down the road, they stopped to try to get some gasoline. And this is back in the 70s when they had the gas wars going on. So nobody had any gas. <laughs> and this scene right here, man, where they pull the van up to the gas station. And this poor mongoloid that comes out to wash the windows. You can't even listen to the dialogue that's going on. Because you're just watching this guy roll back and forth, staring at the sun, trying to wash the windows on this van. I really think this big-headed mongoloid guy washing the windows needed his own spinoff movie from this. But the owner of the store starts talking to the kids and finding out they're talking about going down to this old house. And he's telling them, hey, 
you don't need to go mess around these old houses. That could be dangerous. So he's trying to warn them not to go. So now look, you, you boys don't want to go mess around no old house. So in the process, they don't get any gas. There's no phone to use. So they're just kind of stuck. But they do score on some mighty good barbecue. So now they arrive at the old house and it's 70s hookup time. Yeah! Everybody just leaves Franklin behind. They're all pairing up, taking off, doing groovy 70s stuff, and Franklin's just rolling around being Franklin. <laughs> Come on, Franklin. It's going to be a fun trip. And while being upset, Franklin decides to start working on his beatboxing again. any more fun today, I don't think I'm going to be able to take it. It's at this point that Kirk and Pam come down the staircase, and they ask Franklin about an old swimming hole that's out behind the place. Franklin kind of tells them where it is, and they just take off. When they get close to where the old swimming hole was, which obviously is not even any water anymore, they hear a generator running. Well, Kirk's thinking, well, if they've got a generator, they've got gas. Maybe we can get some gas, and we can get on out of here. So Kirk knocks on the door, nobody's answering, but he hears a noise. So he steps inside, hears even more noise, and Kirk becomes Hamburger. I can't think of a more daunting introduction to a character ever. Statement freaking made. 40 some odd years later and we still haven't topped the slamming of the metal door. An incredible piece of filmmaking right here. So is that the stopping point for the terror? Absolutely not my sweet bell bottom pants. This is just the beginning. We just getting started. At this point Pam decides to get up and go into the house as well because Kirk's taking too long. And she steps into the house and steps into her room off to the side and it's full of Bones, chicken feathers, a chicken in a cage hanging from the ceiling, some artwork made out of bones. Pretty disturbing stuff. And she finally builds up the courage to stand up on her own two feet and run out the door. But on the way out, she's grabbed by our monster, Leatherface, which at this point still doesn't have a name. That's another thing that's great about this. No name association. It's just a big behemoth character. So it's right here we have the most controversial part of this movie that everybody always argues about when Leatherface is taking her into the kitchen and putting her on the meat hook. Which brings me to the part of the show that I love to call, Can Your Movie Do That? How do they do that anyway? The simplicity of this scene is what I absolutely love about this style of guerrilla filmmaking. Because what you have here is an argument of people saying, oh yeah, you see the meat hook going her back. Obviously, watching the film here, you don't. But here's what's brilliant about it. They made a harness out of pantyhose that kind of went across the midsection here. And when they hung her on the hook, they did the shot where you see the hook turning at her. They go to put her on it. And then it does a real quick edit, which is another brilliant thing about this movie. There's really no blood in this movie. Very, very little. But it's known as one of the goriest movies ever made. The fact that if you see the hook, you see her, her back's going towards it. They do a quick edit. And they basically just turned the hook the other direction, took this pantyhose and strapped it over it and had it around her body. So when they set her on it, you kind of get a little 
jerk action, which makes it look like contact, like the hook's going in her back. It's absolutely brilliant. Possibly a mistake? Maybe. But it's a brilliant mistake. And to this day, we still argue over, yes, you see the meat hook going her back. That, my folks, is great filmmaking. When you don't even see it and you think you see it. Incredible. Nowadays, we have the technology where we feel like we have to show everything. But like I said in the past episodes, there's nothing more frightening than what's in your own imagination. That's what makes it work. Sometimes what you don't see is way scarier than what you see. The intensity of this scene where she's hanging on the hook and just screaming in pain, but being able to still consciously see Kirk laying on that table and being cut up by a chainsaw right there in front of her mind-numbingly incredible and you don't see any of it brilliant can your movie do that nah don't think so so now enters jerry with his octagon glasses and big white dude afro and some incredible clothes and uh he's gonna go look for our first two that disappeared and went to the house who are now sausages and during this time sally and franklin have some nice family time sally what now? Nothing. Never mind. Can you feel the love? So Jerry works his way into the house, and he hears a noise in the kitchen, and he goes in there, and he's hearing some noise in the freezer. He kind of knocks on the freezer, and all of a sudden it pops open, and Pam jumps out of it, blue as a popsicle. Jerry reacts, and then he gets a mallet to the head, because that's what's in style now these days. And then from there, we get one of the most incredible scenes from a monster's point of view I've ever seen in a movie, where you basically have Leatherface freaking out, because he don't know where all these people are coming from. He goes and stands and looks out the window like, what the heck is going on here? Why did I have to keep killing these people keep showing up at my house? Really, really different. It shows you a disturbed side to a character that we really don't know anything about. Again, speechless at some of this stuff. It's incredible. And you get this reaction of Leatherface sitting there looking out the window, just like a child is crying. You're getting to peer into the mind of a lunatic here. All he's trying to do is figure out where all these Caucasians are coming from. It's amazing because he's more frightened than the people that keep showing up at the house. Now we're getting to the point where Sally's just about had her fill with Franklin, and it's just not going well back at the homestead. They're stuck outside the van. They don't have a way to go. They're looking for Jerry. They keep yelling, Jerry! Jerry! Hey! So at this point, to try to find Jerry, Sally decides to take her waterlogged brother for a ride through the woods in his wheelchair. So to this point, going through the woods in the dark with just a flashlight to go by, Franklin hears something. Sally, I hear something. Stop! Stop. That's the end of Franklin. So super distraught from this, Sally does her best Usain Bolt imitation and just takes off with her bell bottoms through the woods, being chased by Leatherface. And this scene goes on forever. It's one of the longest chase scenes I've ever seen. You could put it up there with Bullet with Steve McQueen in it. It's that long of a chase scene. So in the course of just trying to run away, where does she run? 
right to the house where Leatherface lives. So she runs inside the house, slams the door and locks it, runs up a flight of stairs and finds an old couple. I mean old, like really old. The decoration for this room is just so disturbing. And the fact that they're just sitting there in these chairs, and I guess that's their dog that's been mummified that's there beside them. But she goes up to them asking for help, and then she realizes, I think these are dead bodies. So she takes off and runs back down the stairs. And during this time, Leatherface is just cutting the door open so he can get in to get after her. <laughs> and when he finally breaks through and she comes down the steps and she screams, it scares him. I love this part of the movie because it's it's almost like a natural reaction, but I think he literally gets scared. <laughs> so Sally decides to go back up the stairs and she just says, screw it, and just jumps out a window. And with a quick uh, change of a wig and a stunt person, she lands on the ground and takes off running again. Leatherface comes downstairs right back after. There's some scenes in here, another chase scene. Some of these shots are even nightmarish of them running through the woods, the way that it's shot, the way the Leatherface is just chasing after. Some of these were used for the advertisements back in the day. Truly scary looking stuff, guys. So now she's just free will burning across the woods again, going a different direction because she knows they don't want to go back to the house. So ends up running all the way back to where the gas station is. So she thinks she got to the gas station. She runs in and the owner's sitting there. And then we got more chaos. She goes in and can't even hardly speak because she's so shocked from everything she's just experienced. And the owner of the, of the place is trying to calm her down and it's just not going well at all. So the owner of the store says, you just sit here and calm down. I'm going to go get the truck and we'll take you somewhere. During this point when he's gone, she looks over at the barbecue and realizes the barbecue is not barbecue. Then the truck pulls up to the door and the owner comes out and comes into the shop with basically a big potato sack and some rope. And he's basically telling her that he's going to have to tie her up so he can take her somewhere. This is almost kind of comical here because he starts beating her with a broom. It's, it's well, you'll see. one of the oddest fight scenes ever in a movie he starts whacking her in the head with a broom and then he ties her up throws her in the the floor of the truck while he's driving he's taking a stick and he's just poking her and laughing the whole time it's really messed up stuff man so what do you think he's taking her in all this time where do you think he's going to you guessed it back to the crazy house that's where it's all coming from so on the way to the house out in the driveway there's crazy knuckle chucks out there the guy that was the hitchhiker early on that cut himself and smeared the blood on the van so you're finding out that's right chuck you farley and the whole fam damnly we got a whole crazy family of head cheese eating lunatics right here and upon arrival at the house we get the most iconic line from the movie here it is <laughs> And what ensues here is one of the most unusual, nerve-wracking scenes ever in movie history. This is not what people expect when they hear Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if they've never seen this movie or not. Obviously, as you get older and you've watched it a few times, this is exactly what you think of. But as a newbie, all you think is a dude and a chainsaw and lots of gore. No, it's all about this dinner scene right here. This part of the movie is relentless in making you uncomfortable all the way through it. Basically taking Sally and strapping her down into literally an armchair 
and they're having a family dinner and they're laughing and looking at her and calling her names and it's just so bizarre and so scary. And this is kind of where you get the story of how the family works. They all have particular jobs that they do. And the other thing that's cool about this Leatherface character is he changes his faces and he basically becomes a different person with each face that he changes. Very disturbing, but something you don't really see anywhere else. When he's the butcher, you get the big manly face. When he's the mother, he's wearing the older lady face and he's got like a wig on and an apron. He's like cleaning up around the house. And then when it's time for dinner... He puts on his best makeup, his best mask, and he's uh, ready to party. You like this <laughs> This is a nightmare full of craziness that had never been seen before at this time period. This scene plays you like a cheap harmonica, and you are powerless to what's going on in this movie. It's at this point they decide, well, I guess we need to kill her, and they can't really figure out a way they want to do it. So during the conversation, they decide, hey, let's let Grandpa kill her. Well, who's Grandpa? Well, remember when she ran upstairs earlier and was yelling at the old couple for help? One of those is Grandpa. So they're basically decided they're going to let Grandpa take a small sledgehammer and whack her in the head like he did back in the day when he worked in the slaughterhouse. That's the madness that's going on right here. So to get him up and going, get him primed up, they take Sally's finger and they cut her finger and they stick it in his mouth. And he starts sucking on it like a baby and starts like coming to life, right? <laughs> so crazy. So crazy. And to think about this, too, this movie has a lot of histories of, of things that kind of went on when they made this movie. When they cut her finger, they really cut her finger. Uh, there's documentaries out there that are all about the making of this film. And when they shot all this dinner scene, they were literally going insane. It was the middle of the day. They had it all blacked out. So they were shooting this stuff. supposed to be nighttime, but during the day, building was just totally burning up it was so hot they're stuck in these clothes shooting for like 12 hours straight and then on top of that they said the heat in there was so bad that all that meat and stuff that was laying on the table you could literally see it decomposing before your eyes at one point when they're working on cutting her finger they had a piece of tape that covered the edge of the knife to keep it from cutting her and had a little tube on it to spit the blood out on her finger. And then Gunnar Hansen said they shot this thing like 40 times and never could get it to work so he actually just peeled the tape off and when they said, roll, he cut her finger. That's movies right there for you, folks. So at this point, they take Sally and they bend her over and they got a big bucket on the ground and they got Grandpa a little small sledge. And he's trying his best, but he's just not what he used to be. His hammer just didn't hold up like it used to. And he's trying his best to whack her in the head. It's almost kind of comical, but frightening at the same time. You know how people react to things. Some people laugh at things when they get scared. That's kind of how this thing is. It's so bizarre that you don't know what you're supposed to do. Again, the brilliance of this film. Come on. Give me the hammer. Get her, 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 get her,
It's at this point that Sally finally makes a break, gets away, and takes off running. And the hitchhiker takes off after her with a straight razor, and he's following behind her, and he's just whacking her across the back. This scene sticks out to me so much because you can't imagine, or you can imagine, trying to get away from somebody, and they're just whacking you in the back with this thing. So at this point, Sally runs out on the main highway, trying to flag some cars down. The hitchhiker is falling behind, and he's just too dumb to even know what's going on, and he gets hit by a huge semi-truck. Flattens him like a pancake. At this point, the trucker stops to see what's happened, and Sally's running around like a crazy person. All of a sudden, here comes Leatherface, and we get some Keystone Cop kind of stuff going on right here, where he's chasing the truck driver and Sally all the way around the truck and in the truck, and... Then we get the shot of where the truck driver grabs a big monkey wrench and throws it and hits Leatherface in the head. And the chainsaw comes down when he hits the ground and starts cutting into his long leg. And the story behind that as well is, is there was a big metal plate that he wore on his leg and they took a stake and put it over the top of it. But they left the real chainsaw chain on it. So when he goes down to cut his leg, Gunnar Hansen thought he really cut his leg because the heat of that chain hitting that metal plate that was in there was extremely hot and he thought it was going into his leg and when he grabbed it you see it in the movie and he grabs it and you see that meat kind of hanging out from that steak that was kind of coming up <laughs> and some blood come up he really freaked out he thought he was cut anyways at this point the trucker's just hoofing it he's getting out of there he's leaving leatherface gets up and he starts hobbling towards sally sally flags down an old guy in a pickup truck jumps in the back of it and narrowly escapes while leatherface is just real close to her swinging that chainsaw at her and then we get the ending of this movie that is so iconic that you just can't copy it <laughs> This is one movie you never can really explain as well as experience in the movie yourself. Because you know what's really scary about this movie? It's the mocking. It's the taunting. It's the fact of it's a family working together, not just some crazy lunatic. This is a family business. There's just something so disturbing about a family that can take these deranged ideas and make it lucrative, but then they act like school kids who just want to see you cry and make fun of you more than anything else. This really messes with your head when you're watching this movie. And the scenery within the cinematography of this thing is so realistic, it's kind of beyond what we even capture with reality TV anymore. That grittiness, man. It's almost like you feel the dust on you from the town. It's just that nasty of a movie. Some movies really, really benefit from that grittiness, and this is definitely one of them. Which also might lead up to why everybody thinks this thing is so real which is something I'm going to talk about right now in a segment that I love to call Rick's Rant. So I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, a little older than me, that say, yeah, it's real. I remember when it happened. And I always have to clarify... Well, yeah, it kind of happened, but it didn't happen in Texas, and it didn't happen with a chainsaw. And this isn't like one or two people. I'm talking about a lot of people who really claim this thing is real. So I don't know where they got their wires crossed. There's even people out there that claim that they had families that were around there when this thing happened. That's what's crazy about it. Sorry, folks. It didn't happen. That's when I tell people like this, hey, 
It's okay, because I've got a little alien I carry around in my pocket who injects some kind of chemical into my brain. And I take him around and I pull him out of my pocket and let him eat other people's brains while we're walking the streets. It can happen. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, people, do your research before you start spreading these lies around. It's just ridiculous. Believing this crap is almost as dumb as asking Jason Voorhees for instructions of how to get to an old Charlie's. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you love this movie as much as I do, because it is one trendsetter of a movie. It really changed the, the landscape from here on out. And it also just set everything in motion for everything that was about to come in the 80s. The big mistake we're making now is trying to turn Leatherface into a character like a Jason or a Freddy. These people with these backgrounds of who they were and trying to make them this icon that never dies. Man, Leatherface is way, way scarier when he's a part of a family and has no background. You don't need a story of what this thing happening. Like I said, that opening scene where he hits Kirk in the head and slams that door, you, you can put any icon up against that and they're going to lose every time. You don't need to know the backstory of all these things. They're scarier when you don't know. Every one of us is scared of stuff that we don't understand or we don't know. Once we break that code, we're not scared of them anymore. Look what happened to Freddy. Scary as heck, first couple of movies. After that, right? Same thing. Leave Leatherface alone. I hope that we can just go back and appreciate that first movie and just leave it at that. So let's not try to make him another Michael or a Jason or a Freddy. Man, let's just leave him part of that twisted puzzle that is the family. And the Saul is family. Check you later. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, how would you like to actually see it? Check out the House of Wax channel on YouTube and have access to content that will only be available on that channel. Don't forget while watching this, click that subscribe button down there at the bottom. That way you know when the next show is coming up. Also, don't be a jerk. Go check out Legion Podcast. You see the shirt right here where you can buy this very shirt, all kinds of other merchandises. Not to mention the incredible lineup of horror podcasts that are on that show. Do yourself a favor. Go check it out right now. So what you gonna do now? Huh?